So today's reading will be taken from Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 20 to 26. Again, that's Jeremiah 36, verses 20 to 26. After they put the scroll in the room of Eli Shammah the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and Jehudai brought it from the room of Eli Shammah the secretary and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiel, a son of the king, Sariah the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. You're a busy church. I'm glad that at least you are here today. Um, we are going to spend a little time in uh, the Word, so I hope you'll take out your Bibles. That's my practice. I like the rustling of pages. So if you'll turn to uh, Jeremiah 36 and 2 Kings 22, that'll be a starting place for us. Um, I was driving on my way to Winnipeg when I got a phone call. It was uh, from Glenn Knudsen, and he, uh, it was just uh, before the Sunday night service, I guess, and uh, he uh, made a call and said, uh, Brent, I hear you're coming to town. Will you preach for us? And, uh, of course, I did not bring any suit, uh, not anticipating that I would be doing that. Um, but it was nice to, uh, that he invited me to do so on behalf of the elders here. And uh, I thanked him and, and uh, indicated that uh, it was nice to be thought of. So, and this is my offering to God, even though this is my father's birthday. And I could have dedicated this sermon to him, but a preacher doesn't necessarily just preach to an audience. He does it as an offering and as a gift to our God. And I, I hope you'll take it as that. Um, like any telephone call, like I got from Glenn, uh, we get messages all the time. Sometimes they're of good news, sometimes of bad news. And sometimes they demand certain actions of us. Today we're going to tell a story of someone who got a message received a call, and, and how he responded to that. And so we uh, look to uh, Jeremiah, the 36th chapter. And it came to him as a surprising message, but there's sort of a build-up to what transpires. It begins with a happening, an event that happens. That's often the wording that's, that's used when the word of God comes to a prophet. It's a happening. It's an event. It comes to them. And so we read, In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, 
of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that when the house... Well, let's hold just right there. So this word of God, this happening, this event, involves an enormous kind of effort on Jeremiah's part. He is to dictate on a scroll all the words of God that he's received over a period of time. Now, Jeremiah's career was some 46 years long the longest that we know of any prophet. And his ministry, we're sort of at his halfway point in his career. And so there would be lots of words, lots to contain within that scroll, many messages of God to people. And so this was, this took a period of time, maybe a year or more, because it's not until the fifth year in the ninth month that what's written in the scroll is read. So there's an, a, a long effort involved. Sometimes we're like that. We, we sort of consider who we need to share a message with, who we need to communicate with, and we think, okay, I can't say that because they'll take it this way, and I, I can't say it that way because that's not what I really mean. And so we take some time trying to find the right words and the right way to communicate something. And there's an effort involved. But sometimes there's timing involved as well. And such is the case here. It needs the right moment to speak the right word. And Jeremiah waits until the ninth month when a fast has been called and people from the towns and villages and cities of Judah are gathering at the temple courts. And it's then that Jeremiah tells Baruch, his scribe, the one who was like his secretary, accepting all those words that needed to be said that God had spoken and Baruch is going to speak these words, the words of God, from an upper chamber above all the courtyard of the temple so that all the words of God could be heard. It's a special moment, and it's a lengthy reading. So Baruch goes to the upper chamber to speak it. And you might wonder... Well, why didn't Jeremiah do it? He, he's used to doing that kind of thing. Uh, but you see, he couldn't. He was barred from the temple courts. He had spoken at the temple before, at the very beginning of this king's reign, and the king didn't care for it much. We find the sermon and the response of that earlier temple sermon in Jeremiah 6. Or 7 and chapters 26. And from that moment, Jeremiah was probably barred from the temple courts. We didn't, they didn't want to hear from him anymore. And so he sends Baruch to do the job that he would have wanted to do, but can't. And so Baruch, Baruch 
reads from the scroll. We don't know how the people respond. But a king often represents his people and the response of the king is in some way a way of understanding how the people's response would be. And so we want to get there, but just hold on a second. Sometimes we need to know what the intentions of a message are why something is said. Sometimes when we're with family, we, we skip that part. You know, we don't, we don't say what, what's behind what we're saying. We just tell them what we want, you know, because we take them for granted. But we shouldn't ever take our God for granted. And we have an indication of the intention because in uh, verse th- 3, it says, when God gives those original directions to Jeremiah... It may be that when the house, verse 3, it may be that when the house of Judah hears of all the disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. A bad message, a judgment of God, isn't the last word, it's always a message of grace. If only there's a response that fits. Well, we've eventually moved from temple courts to a king's palace, and we've had that reading, but we'll touch on it again. So what happens is, well, let's just read it once more. Um, Verse 21. Then the king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary. And Jehudai, or Yehudi, read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment, and there was a fire burning in the brazier before him. As Yehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them with a penknife and throw them into the fire in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. And neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was alarmed nor did they tear their garments. Um, remember, these, these columns that are torn bit by bit and thrown in the fire contain the very words of God. And we might feel shocked that anyone would dare to do such a thing. And what this king was doing as he represents the people of God is that he's trying to nullify, to make as nothing God's words. And so we might feel a sense of shock, shame that a king and his people could act in such a way as to try to nullify 
by destroying the words of God. And yet, are we any better? Ask again, are we any better? We, we do it in other ways. We neglect whole portions of the Bible. We privilege some sections over others. We ignore the judgment of God because, you know, it's sort of nasty and no one really wants to hear that kind of stuff. And so we, we want to focus on all the promises and the nice comforting words. And, and we end up with a kind of plastic, fluffy, uh, empty Christianity because we don't want to hear the whole word of God. We don't want to hear the word of God as it's contained in all of Scripture. We just want the stuff that we like. And we act as critics on the Word of God and on God Himself. As if we're in some superior relationship to God and can decide for ourselves what's important and what's not. What's relevant and what's not. And that takes a certain kind of arrogance on our part to think that we can critique God. There's a, um, sometimes when we read scripture, we, we don't really hear the emotional tone that's going on within the words of scripture. And yet, in this text, there is. If you look at uh, verse 24 again, it says, Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was alarmed, nor did they tear their garments. The emotional tone here that the author is giving us, which might be a point of view of God's perspective, is that there is this massive disappointment on God's part when the king attempts to nullify God's word, his own word. That, that there should have been some other kind of response. And so we might think of a time when maybe garments were torn. And we turn to Second Kings, the 22nd chapter. When Jehoiakim's father receives a word of God. The law book that's found by Hilkiah in the temple and is then passed on to Josiah, the king. And, and then that scroll, which was probably part or all of the book of Deuteronomy, is read to the king. When the, verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his, gar his garments or his clothes then the king commanded the priest Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and the king's servant, Asiah, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judea, Judah, concerning the works, words of this book that have been found. 
For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our ancestors did not obey the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. In this case, Josiah is unlike his son. The son nullifies, whereas the father treasures. His response is entirely different. He not only hears the judgment of God, but thinks to himself, maybe it's not too late. Maybe something can still happen. And so he asks for a word from a prophet. And even when that prophet's word isn't as wonderful as he might have hoped, he still engages in massive changes in his society. He has the people come together and make a covenant to God that they will change their ways and their hearts And souls will be different. And they remove all the idols from the temple and from the high places and destroy the the idols at Bethel. And he makes as much change as he possibly can. His response is so different. He does what's missing when his son nullifies. So... There was this um, movie, uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Uh, some of you might know it. Uh, it comes from a book by uh, de Bernier. And in it, there's this um, village doctor. And one day, the village doctor has uh, this patient come in who's complaining of deafness, especially in his right ear, I guess. And the doctor digs around in the ear and, and soon finds that there was a pee lodged in his ear, which accounted for the loss of hearing. And uh, a little later in the movie, this villager is walking along the doctor and says, you know, I'm just hearing too much. Can you put the pee back in? Well, we, we're like that. We, we want to muffle God's word sometimes. We don't want it to really... We don't want to hear it in its fullness. Uh, we'd rather hear it a little garbled. You know, we'll show up and, and maybe hear a word from God, but we might want that pee in our ears sometimes because it's sometimes things we don't want to really hear. Here's, here's a few things that come to mind for me. Uh, if you will, turn to Isaiah, the 66th chapter. So there's four things that I want to say so that we might improve our hearing and not muffle God's word. And that we might have the right approach, the right kind of response. So in Isaiah, the 66th chapter, um, there is this beautiful expression. Verse 2, towards the end of that verse. But this is the one to whom I look, to the humble and contrite in heart, who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. I think we should be people that tremble. We, we need to have a sense of fear of this awesome God in which we're hearing words from. And that it should shake us up. Be shocking. Be surprising. Uh, sometimes we read our Bibles with such familiarity that, that we fail to really tremble and consider that we're hearing 
from God. An unusual thing. My brother was one time teaching, uh, not the one that's here, but my brother Mark was teaching from Samuel. And uh, notice that David never has a direct word from God in all that time. It's always mediated through a prophet. And yet his son Solomon hears from God on a number of occasions. It's an unusual, rare event for the voice of God to be heard. And even though we sit around year after year in our churches and read our Bibles, we need to tremble. We need to slow down enough so that we actually hear God's word for what it's saying to us, what he intends by that word. That's the first. The second is, turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We might even know this by heart. Some of you obviously probably will. But let's just read it anyway. You know, it's kind of a good thing to do. Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The second thing I want to say is that God's voice, the words of Scripture, aren't to be critiqued by us, but are to critique us. They should examine us. And when we're found wanting that we need to do something about it. Remember the Father and Son. The one nullifies and muffles the Word of God. The Father hears the Word of God and is shaped by the critique he feels that the Word of God places on him and his whole people. As a people of God, we need to, be al- to allow God to critique us so that we know where he is and how he thinks about us and where we need to be as a people. Third thing. Um, it's not just about critiques, you know. It, it's being shaped by that word. Jer- Josiah, when he hears that word, he knows he's got to, got to make a change. It, it's... It's something that we need to do. It's to change us. Um, I've probably said enough about that. But just, just think about like John 15 when it talks about the vine and the branches and the Father cuts back the branches so that we might bear more fruit. Sometimes that Word of God means that there's going to be a kind of change and we need to be shaped by it, not complain about it. We need to find a way of of responding to it so that we are shaped by the very words of God, so that the people of God are actually authentic representations of God's word true to life, visible to all. The fourth thing I want to say is that we need to do something. You know, sometimes... 
even preachers and teachers, they, they look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, you know, uh, it doesn't really mean what it says. We, we have this way of domesticating it. You know, uh, like when Jesus says that you're to love your enemy, it means, well, well, since you love everyone anyway, it doesn't mean anything. Or, or when it talks about various things, we, we sort of find a way to sort of domesticate it, make it a little easier, a little, a little more comfortable for us to pursue. And yet, if we look at Matthew 5 and 7, in Matthew 5:19 it says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end of the sermon, Jesus says in verse 24, well, let's, let's begin verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And then verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on rock. Right? Jesus expects his people to actually do what he says. It's not to be domesticated or nullified or made into nothing. These are important words. They are words that we're supposed to live by, that are supposed to shape us and make us different so that we're salt and light in this world. They matter, they're essential words. Well, you know, Jehoiakim may have thought that when he, he uh, tore off piece by piece, column by column, the very words of God, that he had the last word. It's gone. It's over with. Was it? Turn back to Jeremiah 36. Last paragraph. Verse 27. Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord happened again to Jeremiah. Verse 28. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which King Jehoiakim of Judah has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim of Judah, you will say, Thus says the Lord, You have dared to burn this scroll, saying, Why have you written it in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it human being and animals? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Jehoiakim of Judah, He shall have no, he shall have no one sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the heat by day and the frost by night. 
and I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring on them and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the people of Judah all the disasters with which I have threatened them, but they would not listen. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the secretary Baruch of Neriah, who wrote on it at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the scroll that Jeremiah, the king, that king Jehoiakim of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. We aren't going to find a way of destroying God's word. It's permanent. The temporary actions of others to nullify is a, it's just wasted effort. People may treat the God's word as if it was garbage, ready for the fire. But God finds a way to make his word plain and clear to us. You know, there's a, we are bombarded by all sorts of information and data. And, and some of us are constantly on our cell phones. There's so much information in our news, and, and sometimes we, we don't know how to qualify and look at information anymore. It, it's just so much. And yet there are there is some things that are essential, where we need to slow down so that we can have the response towards God that matters. One last passage in Jeremiah that's really critical and important to us all. It's in Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. I meant to bring this up, and I, I know time is gone, but just bear with me for a second or two. It's, it's the story of the potter and the clay, a little, one, a little different from the one we know. But Jeremiah is directed to go to a potter's uh, business and, and see what is going on. And in the process, God speaks again in a happening, in an event to Jeremiah. And he, he indicates how prophecy works. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can, can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done? says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And if another... If at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, but if it does not, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind concerning the good that I intended to do to it. Now, therefore, thus says, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now all of you from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. You see, whether it's a good word of God 
or a bad word of God, like in a judgment, there's still a response that's required of the people of God. We can't hang on to promises like some sort of status and think that there's nothing required of us. It still needs to have a certain kind of response. We are... um, Sometimes the Word of God excites us and comes on us like a sunny day that we never want to end. Other times the Word of God is like a storm that frightens, whether it excites or frightens. The intent by God is still the grace of God. Judgment isn't the last word. Grace is. God intended forgiveness of His people, even in Jeremiah 36. But we still need to respond with humility. Instead of arrogance, we need to have a humility that trembles at a word of God with a humble and contrite heart. You see, a word of God, if it's to work out and result in grace, will inspire change. What is being shaped is being shaped by God in us, as we sung in two different songs today. Um, And when we are shaped and do those changes that God looks for, whether he gives a good message or a bad one, is still to inspire the people of God to new heights, greater maturity, so that we might actually live as Christ in this world. That this church has the mind of Christ. That we are spiritually driven. That we are concerned about what matters, not the small stuff. We too often sweat the small stuff instead of hearing the word of God and living by that word. He is that rock that everything is founded on. And our lives need to reflect and be shaped by the word of God. And God will inspire us.